I'm very glad you're here this morning. Uh, Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. Uh, we're going to be talking about walking worthy in our calling. That's the continual theme from chapter 4 in the book of Ephesians to the end. And today, in particular, we're dealing with husbands and wives imitating Jesus and His church. That's that's the passage today. And I want to say this before, before we get going. I recognize in this passage it speaks particularly heavy to us men. And, and, and I stand before you with fear and trembling because having to do a, a check myself, okay, am I close? You know, I kind of stink at some of this. And, and so asking my wife, we're moving today and through the rest of this week to a new place. And so life is topsy-turvy and blown up. And I'm not even sure where I am right now. And, or if I smell, I'm not real sure, but, you know, asking this week, I'm prepping for this, and just yesterday morning, like, I, I gotta preach this, and I know we're trying to move stuff, but, and it'd be really nice to move stuff in the morning, but please make sure all of us are at church tomorrow, so lest after I preach, I'm not disqualified, and I'm not found to be some of this, and I appreciate the affirmation that, hey, you're doing a fairly good job, so, I recognize this is heavy on us, but at the same time, I want to, particularly for us men, there's a challenge here. And I'll say something about that toward the end. So, so fear not. I recognize in this room there's everything from victim to perpetrator. All right? And, and, and when I say that, I don't mean that to the harshest extreme. And I also don't want to minimize it either. Okay? But what we want to do is recognize that in the kingdom of God... He has, by His grace, established His church as the community of the kingdom. The community of the rule of Jesus Christ. So inside the fellowship of the church, the ethic of His rule is to reign. Right? It is to be master over our behavior. Over our ethos, the air we breathe, the set of values, the unspoken values. We don't walk around... Saying verbally all the time the ethic of the kingdom, but it is to be working in us by Holy Spirit because it's God's ethic. And part of that ethic is husbands and wives have a grand responsibility that is deeper than simply having a relationship with one another. And so Paul reminds the church at Ephesus and he reminds us today that we walk worthy of this calling in the gospel by husbands and wives imitating Jesus and his church. So, we remember, just because I haven't recapped in a while. We remember that we are called, as in Christ, to walk worthy of this calling. And we're to be unified in Christ as one body with Jesus as our leader. Chapters 1 to 3 in the book of Ephesians are all about solid doctrine. And he unpacks this glorious theme of what it means to be in Christ. We've been predestined to adoption as sons and daughters in Christ. We have redemption, the forgiveness of our trespasses in Christ. We have this glorious wisdom and insight granted by the Holy Spirit of the mystery of God's plan to unite all things under the headship of Christ and the full consummation of the kingdom then and even now. This mysterious work is taking place where God is bringing all things under the headship of Jesus and we have wisdom and insight to know, see, perceive, act in accordance to that glorious reality of what it means to be in Christ. We've obtained an inheritance in Christ What did Jesus say about those in His kingdom? They inherit the earth. Awesome. There's a renewed heaven and earth. We will dwell on with Christ as King, Supreme. It's going to be ours to rule and subdue under the headship of Jesus. And we have that glorious inheritance in Christ and only in Christ. We've been seated... In the heavenly places with Christ. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance as sons and daughters. We've been rescued from our dead state, our slave state to Satan. And we have been seated with Christ and in Christ. And now we are alive in Christ, no longer connected to the prince of the power of the air. As a result, all of us in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, are one body in Christ. By the way, if you rec- these are all the things we've 
studied in Ephesians up to this point. And through us then the church, Father's multifaceted wisdom is proclaimed and made known to the spiritual entities in the heavenly places. And then we move to chapter 4. In chapter 4 through the rest of the book, we discover the delightful duty I'm going to make sure I I put those two words together. The delightful duty. That our duty isn't drudgery. It isn't not fun. If following Christ is not fun, you are not a Christian. Just be clear. If following Jesus has no joy in it, you've not been transformed by the gospel. So we're not just talking slavish duty. Hear that? We're not talking slavish duty. We're not talking about drudgery and drudgery obedience. And oh, I've got to obey Jesus today. No, the delightful duty. This is the essence of the new covenant. Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31 and 32. That God takes out a heart of stone and He puts in a heart of flesh and places His Spirit in us and causes us to walk in His way out of a heart's desire to want to. And so this isn't duty. This is delightful duty. So chapters 4 to 6 unpack for us the delightful duty of walking worthy of our being in Christ. Walking worthy looks like everybody putting their Jesus gifting to work in the church. That's how he starts out. He led a host of captives and taking that Psalm 68 And rather than stating it as receiving gifts from men as a conquering king would do, he turns it around and says, Jesus, when he took his throne, he distributed gifts. And so that's what a giving king he is. He conquered and then he gave gifts out to his people. And so therefore, all of us this morning possess spirit giftedness for the church. So we walk worthy by using it in the function of the community of the kingdom. We're to put off the old self and put on the new self by putting a sword in the quivering corpse of our fallen flesh. We're to seek to glorify the Spirit, not grieve Him in our actions. We seek to imitate God. We seek to be morally distinct from the sons of disobedience by walking as sons of light, not sons of darkness. And then we're to live wisely and not in folly. And so today we come to verse 22 to 33 where we're going to discover that walking worthy in the community of the kingdom looks like this marriage relationship mirroring Jesus' relationship to His church. I'm going to read for you verse 22 to 33. I'm reading the English Standard Version. Uh, You read along silently. I'm going to read it out loud. Let's listen to how Paul talks about walking worthy in the marital relationship. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. We are, I'm sorry, comma, Verse 30, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This is key here. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. That is huge. Huge. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Chapter 5, verse 22, through chapter 6, verse 4, which we'll be covering in the next couple of weeks, has been called by Martin Luther the Hostafel. It's a little German terminology, and Bronson back there, he can correct my German. It's not my second language. And that means the house table. Due to the nature of the instruction of this passage in chapter 5, verse 22, through chapter 6, verse 4, He's instructing husbands and wives and he's going to talk to children. And then he's going to talk to parents 
in regard to parenting. And so this section speaks to the family. Now this isn't in the notes, and, and you, you take this for how, how you will, but the ruling of our families has everything to do with the kingdom of God. And the failure to rule them has everything to do with being enslaved to the kingdom of darkness. The very first place Satan targeted was the husband and the wife in the garden. And so therefore, therefore, this code of the home is not to be ignored. It's not to be replaced by a more culturally appropriate model. It is to be adhered to. We operate in the kingdom. God's rules aren't arbitrary. They are the the ethos, the framework of His rule. This is what is and will be forever. The rules and laws of men not in line with the truth of God will perish. And so we don't adhere to the rules of men before we adhere to the rules of God. It's a quick word to young men. Young men, college students, whoever you happen to be, the young women in your life, either on campus or in this church, are not here for you to learn on. They're not here for you to kick the tires on to see if you want to be a buyer. They're not here as objects of your satisfaction. I say to you, submit to Jesus, decide what God's want, got what God wants. Get your desires in line with God's desires by rejecting a cursed view of women and sexuality. Go find a woman running the same speed you are toward Jesus and invite her to run it with you. Pretty simple. Not complicated. A word to young women. Young men in the church are never going to live up to the female perversion of Mr. Pride and Prejudice, who's a physical knight and an emotional woman. They're not cuddle bunnies. Thank you, man. I was ex- this is your shot, man. Get ready. Get it in, alright? If you grew up in the 70s and 80s, you probably saw a movie called Gremlins. Men present themselves as mogwai. Cuddly, furry, little things. Begging for food after midnight, but you know the rule, never feed them after midnight, right? Because what do they turn into? Gremlins. You tell who raised in the 80s and 70s, like three of us. The rest of you are like, I don't even know what he's talking about. <laughs> the curry, fuddly, little mogwai, you don't feed them after midnight, because when you do, bad things happen, and the gremlin comes out. That's what a man is. He knows how to put his game on till he wins you. And then... All of a sudden, he starts burping at inappropriate times. Passing gas in the car and rolling the windows up and locking them so you can't roll them down. (laughs) Leaving things laying around. Everything that you thought he was not, you discover he is. (laughs) It's true. It's true. We need to be socialized a bit, unless you had cotillion, but I've even noticed that doesn't work. But a godly man will serve the kingdom and the kingdom's ends well and he will serve you well. Just don't expect him to be what he's not. That's woman porn. Just want to say, side note here, I would never advocate for dating or courting and all that joke and trash. Courting is just dating, having your parents go along with you as well, which could be a little weird perhaps, but... I don't care what you do. I say to you, be holy. Submit to Jesus Christ in whatever you choose to do. Because you can do the whole whatever courting looks like thing and do it with a sinful heart and it's just as evil as whatever. Be holy. What we are going to advocate for in our church and because of this passage is that if it's a relationship beyond buddies and it's intended to be engaged in the confines of marriage and not kicking the tires... It's to be engaged in fearfully and joyfully, recognizing we're there to imitate Jesus and His church. Hebrews 13, 4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So if you've been around Three Rivers long enough, and you've sat through any of our discipleship stuff, you know we hold marriage very highly. 
quick word to husbands. We have a higher responsibility here. We're to imitate the king. Not the guy on television. Not somebody in the church. Who you are to imitate is Ephesians 5.1, none other than God himself. That's your model. That's your role model, men. Jesus Christ. We are the engine that runs the car. We're to reject passivity, lead courageously, accept responsibility, and expect God's reward, not man's. If you do that, the culture will not reward you. It may diss you. We are to love our wives as they need to receive love. And you talk about a hard one. A word to wives. Your submission is not submission to folly. But to spirit-controlled love and self-sacrifice. Because that's what a Christian husband is to be. That's the example set for us by Jesus. You're to respect and honor your husband's leadership. Here's a quick word about the foundation of why husbands and wives are to act like this. Why? So what? Why? Well, Ephesians 5.32. And I stopped and said, this is big. This is important. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This mystery Paul refers to is found in verse 31. And that mystery is that man, by leaving his father and mother and holding fast to his wife, they become one flesh. Not two, one. This is Genesis. This is in the garden, pre-fall. God performed the first marriage ceremony. Created man first, then Eve as helper for him, brought them together, performed the wedding, and the two became one flesh. And Paul says this mystery is profound. And he stops. He doesn't go on to explain the mystery. He says it's deep. But then he says it refers to Christ and the church. Two people from different families commit their lives to each other. And spiritually and physically, they become one. It's a spiritually profound mystery. And it defies pure physical explanation. Then we're told that this mysteriously spiritual union refers to Christ and the church. So this whole physical institution of marriage was created to refer people back to Jesus Christ and His people, the church. That is marriage's purpose. This mystery of the two becoming one flesh is there to point us to Jesus Christ and His elected people called the church, the community of the kingdom. That is marriage's point. As a result, we're still in the introduction. And it's only 11, 12. We're good. We're good. Marriage is uniquely God's, and it must be treated as though it were God's. Now, I'm not going to use this as a launching point to go on a political tirade. It's in front of the Supreme Court. And just say this, it's not, I don't care what they say, they can't define it. It's not theirs. It's just not. There's some challenging days in front of the church. State of Georgia, federal government, some challenging days ahead. Because we have it defined by God. And nobody can say otherwise. I mean, they they can, but they're wrong. Governments, courts, and even us, and sadly, even in the church in the West, has sought to redefine marriage. Just recently, the Presbyterian Church, USA, other denominations, not PCA, not EPC, but other denominations have succumbed to the culture's redefinition of what God says is Christ in the church. We don't do that. We can't do that. So we're not going to do that. If you're good with redefining marriage, and you're not going to be happy here. This is not the place for you. There's some, there's some organizations in town, not the church, who call themselves the church, who will succumb. You go be part of that one. And you answer to Jesus. As for us, we will obey Him. Number two, marriage is primarily not about husband and wife. 
It is not primarily about husband and wife. It is primarily about Jesus and His church. Therefore, to overemphasize husband and wife is to miss the point. Most everything can be fixed if we together imitate Jesus. You start to realize the problem isn't necessarily some of the intricacies. It's the fact that I don't want to submit to Christ. That's the bottom line, men, women, is we don't want to imitate the king. We want to satisfy ourselves. It's not primarily about me. It's not primarily about my wife. It is primarily about Jesus and his church. And third, if God instituted marriage before the fall, and he did, he did, and it refers to Christ in the church, and it does, then the father had an eternal plan. Follow me here. You can go back and read this. I'm going to read it slow. It's on the blog. If God instituted marriage before the fall, and He did, and it refers to Christ in the church, and it does, then the Father had an eternal plan for Jesus to have a bride that, by the way, John 10, the Father would give Him. Prior to Jesus' death on the cross, the Father gave Him a people. And Jesus goes to the cross to secure them. Read it carefully. Then the Father had an eternal plan for Jesus to elect a bride for Himself. To seek her out and woo her and secure her for Himself all before the foundation of the world. Thus, rendering the church of inestimable value because He secured her with His own incarnation, perfection, death, burial, and resurrection. Three Rivers Community Church and any gospel-loving, Bible-preaching church, you are greatly loved. You are a gift from the Father to the Son. And He came, lived a perfect life, was crucified to secure you forever, and rose to put His seal on it, and then bring you to Himself so that you would be His forever. You are loved. You are loved. That's, by the way, men, what we're to imitate. Thus, Jesus speaks to Saul in Acts 9. Acts 9, 4-5. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And you want to scream with the text, wait a second, that's an error. He's not persecuting you, Jesus. You're kind of in this whatever state, risen. You're up there. He's persecuting your people. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul's persecuting the church, and Jesus, not mistaken, because he doesn't make mistakes, is looking out for his bride. And he refers to himself as the object of the persecution, meaning Jesus looks at the church as his very own You abuse the church, you're abusing Jesus. You neglect the church, you're neglecting Jesus. He loves His church. And as a result, we are too as well. And and, and Okay, why do we talk about that? Because that's what Paul says marriage refers to. That's, That's its point. It's the point is to Jesus and His church. That kind of love, that kind of submission, that kind of sacrifice, that kind of respect, that kind of honor... I have a feeling that if we talked about these kind of things, perhaps we would have better rates if we held each other to this standard. So, how does the Bible tell us to walk worthy as husbands and wives? That was the introduction. Now we're gonna now we're gonna move. How does the Bible tell us? To walk worthy in the gospel as husbands and wives. Well, verse 22 through 24 and verse 33. The church submits to its leader, Jesus. That's what it says, right? The church submits to Jesus. The church should never do anything that Jesus doesn't tell us to do. 
Right? So we submit to Jesus. He's the chief shepherd. Jesus says, make disciples of all nations. We should be making disciples of all nations. Jesus says, care for the orphan and the widow. We should buy a foster home, right? Care for the orphan, care for the widow. We should obey, right? The church submits to its leader, Jesus. So, therefore, the wife, who, who is pointing to the glorious reality of the church, must submit to her husband, who is the leader, because he is acting in the role of Jesus. This text teaches there's a God-given order in the marriage relationship. There's a God-given order. God works in order. God made things orderly. There is not chaos. Chaos is a result of the fall. The family has an order. And so it teaches there's a God-given order in the marriage relationship. The husband is the head of the wife, just as Jesus is the head of the church. The idea of head here equals leader. In charge of, responsible for. Quick four little points here, gentlemen. I used this these de- this definition of manhood for my boys. I totally ripped it off um, of modern day night, raising a modern day night. If you haven't read that, you need to read it. If you have boys, more than, importantly, you need to go read it and get it. If you don't have boys, you need to get it and read it. If you're a human, you need to get it and read it. And so, this is how we define manhood. I tweaked it a little bit, because I'm never satisfied with anything anybody else does. I want my thing. So, that's maybe a sin issue, I don't know. I'm just telling you, I tweaked it a little bit. Reject passivity, lead courageously, accept responsibility, expect God's reward, not man's. As the leader responsible for my home, I must reject passivity. What did you see our dad doing in the garden? Yeah, being passive, doing nothing. Standing there picking boogers while his wife's having a conversation with Satan. And the Bible records him saying nothing. And I'm a teacher. I teach boys. I teach girls. And you know, my, my, the first ones to jump up and do something are the girls. The boys are too busy doing nothing. Perfectly following the genetic line of Adam. That's a sin issue. The curse has brought that about. So we have to reject that. If the temptation is to be passive as leader, we can't be passive. We must get active. We must act. Lead courageously, meaning it's going to require some courage to lead. Because there are going to be times you're not going to agree, but you're right. And you're going to have to set the pace. But you're going to have to have the character to set the pace and expect someone to follow you. You have to accept responsibility. You're going to make mistakes. You've got to own it. Mine, I did that. That's my fault. And you better expect God's reward, not man's, because you will not be rewarded by our fallen culture. God will reward that. Because the husband is the head, the wife must submit like the church submits to Jesus. The problem is the word submission has become a dirty word in a feminized culture. Now, I'm not going to take an hour and talk about the role of feminism. It it's, it's creation, it's beginning, it's perversion, where it came from. But suffice to say this, it is the byproduct of atheism. If there is no divine order because God created all things and made a divine order, then there's no order. Then everything has equal function. And there's no right for anybody to impose any order. So therefore you have the rise at its very heart, from the enlightenment and the growth of atheism, or agnosticism as well. And the word submit is a dirty word. But the word doesn't mean oppress or subjugate or dominate. Submit means to yield to the order of things. The submission of this text particularly is Trinitarian in nature. Submission is built into the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are mutually submissive. Jesus tells us in John chapter 5, I don't act on my own authority. I do what I see the Father doing. The eternal Son of God who died in my place for my sin did not act on His own authority. He imitated the Father and submitted Himself to the Father's purpose. The Holy Spirit is not rogue. He does not do what He wants. He does what Jesus said He would do in John 14, 15, and 16. 
And his mission isn't to draw attention to himself, but to draw attention to Jesus. He submits. This is the kind of submission Paul's talking about here. Is this submission to order, to created purpose. Divine order is lived out in Trinity. And it is the model of submission. Men are to actively lead spiritually and physically by fighting the inertia of the curse. And we don't pass the buck regarding our failures. We repent and accept that it's our job and to do what's right. And that makes it easier for other people to walk in submission to us when we are submitted to God and to them. Rogue males are not worth submitting to. Women do not marry, court date, whatever you want to call it, a rogue. If he will not submit to his spiritual leadership, give him the boot. If he won't submit to his parents, give him the boot. If he treats his parents that way, he will treat you that way. Submission is intertrinitarian. And why would God not expect that from us? He does. There are no such thing as rogue pastors. There are no rogues here. We submit to one another. We're accountable to one another. Because submission is built into the very nature and character of God. So listen, submission is not a dirty word. It's a God word. It's a holy word. It's been abused, misused. But it's God's idea in order. The truths of this text have been abused by sinful people ever since the garden. They're couch potato men who order their wives and children around like they're heads of state. They're adulterous men who have the sexual ethic of Jabba the Hutt. And use Bible verses to keep their wives faithful. That's sin and rebellion. And it's not submission on their part to Christ. And not worthy. Verse 22 to 33 are preceded, by the way, by verse 18 to 21. And verse 18 to 21, if you've been here for a while, we preached through that, tell us that we're to be filled with the Spirit. And according to verse 21, if we're filled with the Spirit, then we will be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Therefore, ladies, it's easier to submit to a man who's submitted to Christ than a rogue man, if he's rogue, put the boot in his rear and move on. Real simple. Real simple. Being a spirit-filled man who can submit makes him easier to submit to. Husbands are to love like Jesus and wives are to respect and honor like the church. Verse 33. I put a footnote here. If you haven't read the book, it would be worth your time. It's called Love and Respect by Dr. Emerson Egrich. We are men called to love. Our wives are called to respect. And, and if you've been married long enough, you know what that's like. We don't necessarily want to sit on the couch and cuddle. Matter of fact, some of us may be running from that. It's like, eh, you need to stay over there. My favorite show's on. I can't pay attention. <laughs> But you disrespect us in public and all hell will break loose. Am I right, man? Because we don't necessarily want to be cuddled, but we want to be respected. Right? Our wives aren't necessarily looking for respect. They're looking for love. Isn't it interesting how God wired us to give up what we don't naturally have? It requires submission. By the way, I, I really struggled with trying to get this in in one Sunday. But we're going to do it because there's so much here. But that will be a class we can have downstairs later. Point number two, the first part of verse 25. Jesus loves his church, so the husband must love his wife. Right? Jesus loves his church because he was given a church from the Father in Trinitarian love. Jesus' love for his church also achieves some marvelous ends. It tells us here in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that, that purpose clause, he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, comma, so that, 
This is what this is the purpose for the washing of the water with the word. He gave himself up for her so he can sanctify her. And he's sanctifying her so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus loves him church loves his church, and so therefore the husband is to love his wife like that. Jesus gave himself up for his church. Jesus died for his church that he might sanctify, clean up his church. By the way, guys, this is amazing. Jesus' death doesn't just save you. Jesus' death also cleans you up. Jesus is actively cleaning us up. That's why following Jesus is a delight, but it's also work. We're working against the curse of the fall. And Jesus is actively engaged in the life of his people to clean them up. This is why John said in 1 John 3, we don't remain in sin because Jesus is actively working against that and he achieves the end of cleaning us up. And he will get us there. So he died. He gave himself up. He did it that he might sanctify us, clean us up. Verse 26 and then verse 27, Jesus' death for his church and his sanctification of his church is that he may present us to himself. He's going to clean up the church. We're being made holy that we may be presented to Jesus at the restoration of all things as his kingdom of people from all nations who will be his people forever. Husbands, we are to give ourselves up like that. Meaning, it might not be what we want that should count first. Husbands, we are to work for the sanctification of our wives. And we are to work for the sanctification of our wives so that we may present them to Jesus in the end as part of His church. And the husband as Jesus' instrument for her good, her joy, and Jesus' glory. Kind of changes your perspective. If I'm to be Christ and my wife is to be the church and Jesus is working to present him church to him, his, I keep saying him church. Wow. He's working to present his church to himself. Then, gentlemen, we must be working to present our wives to Jesus as a sanctified member of his body. I think we've allowed the marriage to become more about the sexual and emotional bonding experience than about loving, protecting, and working for the sanctification of our loved image bearer for her good and God's glory. I think we've allowed marriage to become more about sexual and emotional bonding experience than about respecting our fellow image bearer for his good and God's glory. There's a deeper purpose than just very simply us being married. Finally, final point here. Jesus loves his church. Now this is long. I couldn't say this shorter words. I tried to rewrite it several times. and just couldn't make it come out any shorter. I'm wordy. I know that. If I ever write anything like, like that's going to get published, they're going to nail me on stuff like this. I know it. I used to get nailed like this in graduate school because I'd say it wordy and I'd get it back from a fellow and he'd like say it in three words. Why would you do that? <laughs> Takes me a paragraph, took him three words. So anyway, here it is. Jesus loves his church as himself because his glory is staked on loving us and saving us from the curse. So, husbands, love your wives like your own salvation depended on it. Say it again. Jesus loves his church as himself, which the text tells us that, right? Because his glory is staked on loving us and saving us from the curse. Therefore, if we're to be Christ, we're to imitate Jesus, husbands, we're to love our wives like our own glory, our own salvation, our own honor depended on it. How in the world can we make that statement come out of verse 28 to 30? Let me read verse 28 to 30. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. 
That's that's pretty wild, right? I love my I I, I do love myself sinfully. I'm very self-centered. But I'm to love my wife like I love myself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ, just as. Here's the, another, here's the parallel. Just as Jesus does his church, meaning Jesus is nourishing you right now. He's nourishing you. He's caring for you. Why? Verse 30, because we are members of His body, because we're His. We were given to Him by the Father, so we're members of His body. So why would He not nourish us? If He went to the cross to die, to secure us, why would He not nourish us? Duh, He will. Because we're members of His body. How can I make that statement come out of verse 28 to 30? Well, number one, this whole passage, remember, is referring to Christ and His church, remember? Remember? Don't miss it. It's talking about Jesus and the church. Secondarily, it it then applies to how we walk worthy in the gospel. Number two, this means that Jesus loves you and He loves me as He loves Himself. Do not miss that. Jesus loves you and He loves me like He loves Himself. Let me ask you this question. If Jesus loves me like He loves Himself, is He going to let you go? He's not going to let you go. Jesus said in John 10, All those the Father has given me, I hold them. And of all those He's given me, I lose none of them. But I will raise them up on the last day. Therefore, He had to be raised so that He could raise us. And so therefore, if Jesus' glory at saving and raising the gift given Him by the Father is at stake in Him completing the mission... Is He going to fail to complete the mission in you and I? Absolutely not. I have a hard time sometimes believing this due to my unbelief still at work in me. I often pray with the man in Luke, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. How could you care for this? How could you love this? You know the thoughts of my mind. This is one of the reasons I love the lyrics from Lecrae's song, Gotta Know. You guys know I like rap and hip-hop. There's a black man waiting to come out of this skin. And in the kingdom, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Every time I read this, I say it like Lecrae does, but it it doesn't come out that way. It sounds good in the truck, but, but I know it's not. It's great lyrics. You know I need you like aqua. Day without you got me so nauseous. If I ain't cautious, I'm gonna I'm gonna self inflict my sickness. You know it's true. You as my witness, at how you witness my inconsistence, yet the ovation when I need your assistance. And I just got to know that even though I'm a misfit, I'm still worth more than calamity's French kiss. Yes, I'm loved and I'm pursued. And though I can't feel it, still I know that it's true. Somebody woke me up and yeah, I know it was you. And yet I keep trying to steer clear of your view. Because if you get me, you know that you got me. But I'm so insecure, I can't believe that you want me. But then I heard you went on your way to adopt me. Well, you can have my all. If you swear you won't drop me. Because I got to know. Listen, this means that Jesus loves us like He loves His own glory. Meaning, He will never let us go. Gentlemen, that's our role model. That's our role model. That's what we got to be. That's what Jesus demands that we be. How is it that Jesus can love me as himself? Well, I've told you already, John 10, 22 to 30, tells us that the Father has given Jesus a people and no one is able to snatch them out of his hand, verse 28. If Jesus were to lose any of his people that the Father has given him, then his glory would be lost as one who could not secure what was given to him. 
So Jesus loves us as His very self and would in no way lose His glory or rob the Father of glory by failing to be who He is. And that is the eternal Son of God who would come and secure the salvation of His people. So Jesus loves His glory and that love of His glory ensures I would be saved. He loves us like that. And so therefore, Jesus loves us like His glory is at stake. Gentlemen, we must love our wives like our salvation is at stake. Gentlemen, you walk away from your wife without warrant because you bought the lie, you have kicked the gospel to the curb. And I'm going to pull a Hebrew 6 on you. There's no walking back to it. It's over. It's over. That's harsh and that's heavy, but that's fact. Because new heart people don't do things that break the heart of God. New heart people, hearts of flesh, repent. That's what they do. Hearts that won't repent are hearts of stone. They've never been converted. They're not losing anything. They never had anything. As a result of Jesus loving us like that, Jesus nourishes and cherishes His church because we're His. Right? As a result, men, we are to nourish and cherish our wives because they are ours. And we're responsible for them. Jesus nourishes us with the Word. What does He say? By washing with the water of the Word. Listen, I know this is you hear this all the time. Read your Bible. God sanctifies through reading the Bible. It's crazy. Read your Bible. We've given you Bible reading plans. After Bible reading plans, they're available free online. Google Bible reading plan. You can find 500,000 Bible. But pick one. I don't care. Pick one. Read that daggum thing. Jesus cleans us up as we read His Word. He meets us in the pages of the text. Holy Spirit. Listen, I know this freaks some of us Baptist people out. He speaks audibly sometimes. I know that wigs some of us out, but He will talk to you. He wants you to know. Jesus promised He would be our counselor, helper, teacher. And there are times He needs to get your attention. If you'll get still long enough, you might just hear Him. He nourishes you with His Word. He nourishes us with Holy Spirit, who's Creator, Counselor, Guide, Father, and Son come to us. And therefore, husbands, we're to love our wives, though our very salvation depended on it, because it does. If we let our wives fall into disrepair because we failed to imitate Jesus, then we have denied the gospel and walked away from the truth. But hear this. this is, we're closing up right here. Men, don't despair. Don't despair. If you've been transformed by the gospel, you'll do this. You won't be perfect today. You might not be perfect five years from now. This is one of the things I love to see in older couples. And that gentle, wise, they some crazy old men that just need to be throat punched. I get that. They're still in sin. But you ever watch that gentle, wise, old man who loves his wife? You ever see that? Isn't that beautiful? We're going to get there one day, man. Now, wives, the bad news is it may be 20, 30 more years. But we're going to get there because God is going to get us there. What he began, he will bring to completion. So men, don't despair. If you've been transformed by the gospel, we might not do this perfectly, but we are striving for it, and it bothers us. And we'll get better a little bit at the time. We'll burp less. We'll fart less. We'll, not really, but we'll conceal it better. We get good at hiding it. We'll learn to love right. Because I still think if you love me, you'll, you'll buy me Falcon season tickets. Come on, Greg. Get, get behind it, man. But So therefore, I, I think if I love my wife, I'd buy her Falcon season ticket. But that's not... We, learn, we, will learn to, we will learn to love the way our wives need to be learned. It may take us a while. We'll figure it out. We'll pull it off. Because God, by His Holy Spirit, is helping us to take off the old self and put on the new self. Get better at it day by day and year by year. So band, I'm going to have the band come on up. I told them I was going to ask them to come up before I prayed. So band, come on up. Here's how we'll sum this up today. Number one, church, you're greatly loved by Jesus. Greatly loved by Jesus. Don't walk away and miss that. You're greatly loved by Jesus. 
Men, you're greatly loved by Jesus. And He's not going to let you go. Submit to Him. Obey Him. Imitate His example. Number two, husbands, we have a joyous and heavy responsibility to produce, by Jesus' help, healthy homes and thus a healthy church. And number three, we are to be a worshiping people because we are loved like this. And we have the joyous job of loving like Jesus loved. That is not a downer. It's not a downer. It's a high calling. You ever notice what it's like? Man, we know this. Like if there's not a purpose to our day, how miserable it is. This is why you know there's a curse when, when we can just be lazy because that's broke. We were made to be creators. We're image bearers. And as image bearers, we're creators. We don't create ex nihilo. We don't create from nothing. We take what God made and we create from it. Whether it be knowledge as an educator or with some of you guys are good with your hands, you just build stuff. You're creators. And so, and, and we're made to work, subdue the earth, right? That's awesome stuff. We're made to subdue the earth. And so you know it's broken when we don't want to subdue the earth. I'm going to sit here, watch another show, right? So this is a challenge. This is not a downer. This is a challenge. And if you have an ounce of testosterone flowing through your body, you want to go after this challenge and glorify Jesus and present your wife to Jesus well. So accept the challenge. Don't run from it. Run to it. Jesus didn't... This this sounds so like middle school guilt trip, and I'm sorry, but Jesus didn't run from saving His church. He laid down His life to secure her. So look at that challenge and you demand that it bring its best game because you are bringing yours. Let's pray and let's worship. Father, help us today to do what your word says. Help us to obey as you have taught us and greatly encourage our heart. Holy Spirit, would you encourage our soul today? Help us to be what you've called us to be in this text. So we walk worthy in the community of the kingdom. And Lord, may there be from that gospel preaching. May there be from that something that our culture wants to imitate. And may there be a sweet aroma of Christ among those who are perishing. Because we imitate you.